From Advisory Board, we're bringing you a radio advisory. My name is Rachel Woods. You can call me Ray. Today, I'm bringing you a conversation with my colleague, Emily Conley. Emily, so good to have you on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. What are we talking about? We are talking about systemness, everyone's favorite topic. Explain to the audience, what is it that we actually mean by systemness? The easiest way that I like to think about it is systemness, when you achieve it, means that the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. So I actually like to think about it to make it real for people in what does systemness failure look like? Hmm. So I'll tell you a story. One of my colleagues who works on our service line team said that when he talks to a local service line leader at a practice or at a facility, one of the first things that he does to judge their level of systemness is he says, who are your competitors? List off your competitors for me. And about 60% of the time, that service line leader that he's talking to will name another practice or another facility within the same system. That is by definition a failure of systemness. Why should organizations care about systemness? Why should it be on their strategic plan? So there's really so many reasons why health systems should focus on systemness. Um, and, and when I explain this, I actually like to give kind of more concrete examples uh, to help people understand. And there's two examples that I like to use. So from a business perspective, the idea of systemness just makes sense. If you can achieve economies of scale, that's always going to be beneficial from an operational perspective and from a financial perspective. And then getting even more specific to healthcare, from a clinical perspective, once you can do things like pool resources and knowledge, you can start to develop the most effective clinical pathways, for example. And then once you're able to do that, you should be able to spread that knowledge across the system and therefore improve quality and lower costs to a large number of patients. So you can be reaching a lot more people through the health system and thus improving clinical care and outcomes. So systemness matters for business purposes, but for clinical outcomes as well. Let's talk about the state of systemness prior to the pandemic. How were organizations actually performing? Systemness has been a, a popular topic for many years, especially in the last decade or so, as we've seen an uptick in M&A. But there really wasn't a ton of urgency around it. So in general, we saw some organizations making, to be honest, what we would probably characterize as incremental improvements. But overall, the industry really was not making the kind of big moves and frankly, difficult decisions that really are required to, to truly transform. Hmm, okay. Now let's talk about the state of systemness during, or I guess in the middle of the pandemic, organizations are bigger sort of than they've ever been. And in theory, larger organizations should be able to leverage their size and their scale to operate more effectively in the face of a pandemic. Did that actually happen? It's too early to tell for sure. 
But so far, it looks like the answer is yes, at least to some extent. So one of the clear examples we can point to is that some systems that have multiple hospitals, multiple facilities, have started designating one hospital as the COVID hospital, and then they direct almost all the volumes there. And you can see why that's beneficial to isolate patients and to protect the remaining patients. But this strategy isn't an option for a standalone hospital, certainly. It's it's also not really an option for multi-market systems unless they have multiple facilities within a reasonable geographic proximity of each other. So you can see how if you're a system, but you have one hospital in Philadelphia, one hospital in Baltimore, and one hospital in Washington, D.C., you wouldn't necessarily be able to achieve the same types of benefits in that example as a health system that has three hospitals in Philadelphia. Hmm. If you are a large healthcare enterprise, what are some of the indicators that larger systems are leveraging this concept of systemness well during a pandemic? I think that there are three in particular that we are going to be analyzing pretty closely as we come out of this. The first would be your financial position and your assets, whether or not that actually helps you more than if you were a small or independent system. The second is your level of operational efficiency. And the third would be your decision-making and governance processes. All right. So let's talk about each of these in turn. Let's start with your revenue portfolio. How is that an indicator? So in theory, larger systems should have easier access to capital and probably more days cash on hand. And that should make them more resilient to temporary dips in revenue like we're seeing now. What we've seen so far is a little bit more mixed. It's certainly true that very small organizations have been hit very hard. If you're a community hospital and you only have 15 or 20 days cash on hand, you're really not going to be able to avoid furloughs. But on the other hand, we have also seen fairly large, probably what most of us would consider very successful systems, implement furloughs much more quickly than I personally would have expected. Hmm. So it's possible that coming out on the other side of this, the financial asset piece won't end up being as beneficial as some of us had probably hypothesized. How about on the operational efficiency side? So this one is, you know, kind of easier to imagine that if you are a large health system, you have tens of thousands of employees, you have a lot of moving pieces to coordinate. And it's easy to see how that could get bogged down. On the other hand, if you have set up your system the correct way to begin with and you are able to leverage systemness, if those processes function very smoothly and quickly, then you might be able to function, for lack of a better analogy, as a well-oiled machine throughout all of this. Hmm. Now, how about this last one? Because I think this is important. How are organizations handling decision-making as large health systems? One of the things that we have heard anecdotally from our members over the past week or two is that actually a kind of positive thing that has come out of being put in this situation is that it has forced them to do things and make decisions that 
that they have either been postponing or that would have previously taken a very long time. And so when it comes to really important decisions, it's becoming clear that you can make those decisions quickly and you can do it at the system level. And so I think that they should hold on to that and executives should be confident that action and fast action is important. And when we start talking about post-pandemic, we can get into these types of things that they may want to consider permanently moving forward. We'll be right back with more radio advisory after this short break. If you want us to cover a topic or have feedback on this podcast, you can email us at podcasts at advisory.com. That's podcasts with an S. And remember to rate and review. Let's say organizations are no longer in the surge and they're entering this sort of recovery period. Do you expect to see a new groundswell of support around mergers and acquisitions? Or will some of the financial challenges actually make independent hospitals less likely to choose partnership with large institutions? Overall, yes. I expect there to be at least more interest in M&A, if not an actual uptick in M&A, but not because everyone thinks health systems save the world. As you mentioned, it really all comes down to finances. And there are going to be small systems, independent hospitals, and provider groups that don't come out the other side of this. And their only options are going to be to either close seek acquisition with a larger system, or potentially pursue options like private equity. So Emily, at some point, leaders are going to start going through their after-action report. What key questions do you recommend executives start evaluating as they're looking at how they actually performed as a system during the pandemic? First and foremost, they have to reflect on patient outcomes and employee safety. And and that one's not unique to systems. All hospitals and organizations should do that, regardless of system affiliation. I think after that, I'd want to, as a system, evaluate things like volume distribution, patient flow, uh, care transitions. I think care transitions is a big one because we all just assume that you go to the hospital and, and then you go home and you're fine, but but that's not really the case. Um, and then, as we mentioned earlier, I'd also take a hard look at decision-making processes. Where did our governance structure slow us down? Where were there areas of miscommunication? And then lastly, there are definitely some challenges that were foreseeable and fairly obvious, like PPE shortages. But I'm also particularly interested in the unanticipated challenges. So I'd really like to ask a health system CEO something like, if someone told you that this was going to happen, what's one thing you didn't think you would struggle with, but that you actually did struggle with? Hmm. And I think that will be very telling to prepare for hopefully what won't come for a very long time, but potentially the next crisis situation. I'm curious, have you asked health system executives that question? What's their answer been? I have not had the opportunity to ask that question yet. I'm trying to give everyone a couple weeks to get their feet under them, but I absolutely will be asking it in the future. That's right. I think you're doing research on this in 2020. 
We are, yes. So second half of the year, definitely look for some new advisory board systemness insights and resources coming out. If organizations are doing that after action report, they're going through these key questions. I imagine that at the very least, it will push systemness towards the front of their strategic plan. If that's the case, where do you recommend executives look in the short term? A lot of things, but again, we have to do some prioritization. So in the short term, the two big ones I think are going to be about planning and then about telehealth. So I can take those in turn if you want me to. Leaders really need to be making decisions right now about which shuttered services to reopen where and in what order. And that is going to have a lot of implications for service line rationalization or service line optimization, as some people like to say. For way too long, many systems have been supporting multiple programs. Sometimes the programs compete with each other. They have subpar volumes. That's not going to be financially sustainable anymore. And so in the short term, I think the smart systems are going to use this time of rebuilding to make those difficult decisions and kind of rebuild the way that they've always needed to. Hmm. And you also said that in the short term, folks should be looking at telehealth. Definitely. This is a really big one. And a lot is going to depend on reimbursement. So we've seen some pretty generous reimbursement policies come out in the short term. We don't know whether or not those will be rolled back. But regardless of whether or not they get rolled back, now that consumers and frankly also providers have been forced to use these virtual options many of them are going to expect their continued availability. And so leaders are going to need to be making decisions now about where is it important to keep these services available regardless of reimbursement levels, and then also how to make sure that they truly are kind of seamlessly integrated into both the patient and the provider experience. And of course, if you're looking for more information about telehealth, you can see our previous episode with my colleague, John League. We'll also put a couple of resources about telehealth in the show notes. And if you're interested in content about how you actually start reopening for business, that's going to be a deep dive that we do on a future episode. So Emily, how about in the long term? What should be on organization strategic plan? Oh man, where to start? So many things. For me, the big one from which pretty much everything else flows is your financial position. And a lot of people like to say that healthcare is recession proof, and it might be recession proof, but it's not turning out to be pandemic proof. And that's a huge problem. Uh, Healthcare is essential in normal times, and it's even more critical during a pandemic. But what we've seen so far is that health systems have largely used M&A to increase their revenue and leverage payers. Very few have done the really hard cost-cutting and true consolidation that they probably should have done. And, you know, I don't necessarily blame them for that. It's really hard work, and, and why would you do that if you could just make up for whatever you needed on the revenue side? Hmm. But now, unfortunately, everyone's going to be forced 
to do that because so many organizations are going to be, frankly, in a dire financial position. And and this really has to be soup to nuts. I mean, I'm talking everything. I'm talking basic operational efficiency, back office economies of scale, service line rationalization, capital allocation, workforce productivity, care variation reduction, top of site care. Literally everything in the system has to be on the table in the long term. I want to turn our attention a little bit to what might be a counterintuitive part of the industry, and that's independent hospitals. But I think that they actually play a role or have their own systemness questions to actually address. Why should an independent hospital care about systemness? An independent hospital should care about systemness because their position on that concept is very closely tied to their organizational identity. So if you are an independent hospital CEO, you have to truly believe that your independent status is what's best for your community and that you can achieve everything you need to achieve without formally being part of a system to best serve that community and meet your mission. Hmm. And if you were talking to a leader at an independent hospital, what questions would you tell them to ask about systemness? So assuming that they do want to stay independent, I think that there are two primary questions. The first question is, is there something I could have done better if I had fill-in-the-blank resource that I assume is available at health systems? Then the second question from that is, Is there a way for me to create or obtain fill-in-the-blank resource, either by myself or by partnering with someone else, again, without a formal merger or acquisition? And if the answer to the second question is yes, great. They should go and pursue those options. But if the answer to the second question is no, then, then those leaders face some really hard decisions about how essential those resources and benefits are and whether or not they, they want to risk potentially being unprepared in the future. And perhaps more specifically, if they should be part of a larger health system. Exactly, exactly. Before we end our time, I want to turn to the concept of capacity In a world of, say, 10 major health systems in the country, we'd likely end up with potentially a more efficient health system, at least in terms of supply and demand. But at the same time, COVID has, of course, shown us that we might actually need a lot of extra capacity at certain times, like in a pandemic. Can this actually be done in a world of hospital consolidation, or would it require something else? It's a really interesting question because for me personally, this is one of the most difficult questions coming out of the pandemic. And that's because it actually, in my mind, again, comes down to a philosophical question about whether you should be planning and operating for 99.9% of life or for hopefully a once in a lifetime pandemic. We've known for a really long time that the U.S. is overbedded and in general capacity at hospitals are is low. 
But if systems had made the smartest financial decision and downsized acute care capacity to control fixed costs, we'd probably be in a worse situation than we are now, or at least, you know, the hot spots in the northeast of the country certainly would be. So I definitely expect that this debate is going to continue for a really long time. And I honestly don't know which way we'll come out of this one. Well, and I'm sure we'll have you back on the podcast to talk more about systemness and capacity and and continue to get your thoughts. So Emily, before I let you go, I want to ask one final question. When it comes to the concept of systemness, if you were talking to a group of healthcare executives, what's the one thing you'd tell them to focus on? I think I'd say immediately start laying the groundwork to use the recovery period as an opportunity to finally make the decisions that the system has been putting off for years. You're going to have to rebuild anyway, so you should really take this time to rebuild the way that, frankly, you've always needed to and you've always wanted to. Well, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Emily, what else are you working on this week? This week, I am preparing for the inpatient prospective payment system proposed rule to come out. So that's going to be a fun read in the next couple weeks. Yeah. How many pages is it predicted to be? It's usually about 2,000. Hmm. So we'll not have you on the podcast next week. Probably not next week. Um, but thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed the conversation. COVID-19 is shining a light on both the potential and the problems of systemness. And keep in mind, at the same time, there's all this pressure to responding to a pandemic. And that's ramping up the urgency for overcoming all of the obstacles your organization has to integration. Your leadership team has an opportunity. So take this moment. Think through, where am I currently acting as a system? And where am I not? Ask yourselves how you can use this crisis as an opportunity to evolve the system and achieve deeper layers of integration. And as always, we're here to help.